0: Today we are looking at David and Bathsheba. Aha! What do you think you know? So I've got a, uh, we've got a whole new perspective. I never heard of it before. And it comes from a rabbi in 1492. So this should be interesting. Amen? Yeah, We'll see what happens. <laughs> so I'm grateful. Anyhow, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to read the, the scripture and I'm Please bear with me as we go through this. It's, it's a little long, but that's all right. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Re, Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba. Did you ever notice that her name is Bath? And what's she doing? She's taking a bath. That's <laughs> how you remember the. Who is this woman? Bathsheba. <laughs> She's taking a bath. All right. I, I didn't know if you'd ever caught that or not, but that's, that's the extent of my. that's the extent of my Hebrew uh, influence there. But anyhow, Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself for her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, he's the commander of the armies, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and how the soldiers and how they were doing at war. And David said to Uriah, go home or go down to your house. Wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah (laughs) at the entrance of the palace with all the maid master's servants and did not go home. He slept there. He slept with the servants at the house. And David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from the military camp? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day, and the next, David, at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it unto Uriah. In it he wrote, now this is Uriah carrying his own death sentence, Uriah, put Uriah in front where the fighting is forecast. Then withdraw from him, and so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had, si- had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the people of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Skipping down to verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, uh, I'll, I'll read one more section here. The Lord sent, this is chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man remained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. (laughs) Uh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. He talks about how the God had anointed him. And then verse 13, And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has forgiven you. Now, we, we look at this situation and kind of a recap, sounds like a plot or a movie that we would see on TV um, <laughs> and how that, you know, all this stuff comes together. But when we find that... Um, one, David uh, doesn't go out to war, which he should be. Kings always go to war, but David, he's, po- he's he's so powerful and big, and 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 his generals are so good. He doesn't need to go to war, so he stays at home. And that's whenever he sees Bathsheba and has her come in. He has an affair with her. She's pregnant, and so how do you cover that up? Well, let's bring her husband home and have her husband go home, sleep with her. Then they'll have to know that the baby's his and and not somebody else's. But uh, Uriah doesn't do that, so David has him killed in battle. So this is kind of, you know, I've always wondered about this, okay? I, I've always had this question about what happens? I mean, David is this, he's this man after God's own heart. He he has written at least 71 psalms. His, his, his The prophets would always talk about, even later, they talk about you need to be a king like David. And, you know, and so you, you look at this and it's like, this doesn't add up. It's like there's this gap where David suddenly just stops paying attention to God and goes after this woman and then has her husband killed and he buries her. And the kicker is, this is dumb being facetious, the, and, 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 the, and the strange thing is, this woman is the mother of Solomon, wisest man who ever lived. And both David and Solomon are in the line, the lineage of Jesus. So, (laughs) how do you put this all together? Especially, you know, in the way that we've looked at it in the past, that, okay, David sinned, he just blatantly forgot all of God's commands, and he just went out and did his own thing, and then he gets caught in the end, and he's repentant. Well, Psalm 51 is David's repentance. And I just want to put that out there so we we have an understanding of the character of the guy whose this story is about. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done that, done what is evil in your sight, so that so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. That was another thought I had, you know, reading this. When David says, "I've only sinned against you," well, wait a minute. There's Uriah, <laughs> there's um, Bathsheba, there's the 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 nation, and all the people who are looking to him. How is it that to can just say, I've only sinned against God? And I thought, well, you know, every sin that we have, basically every done, it's maybe we have in, involved other people, but in reality, maybe it's just that we've sinned against God. But in this say, case, it kind of rings, you know, you have David setting aside the commandments, David doing what he wants, has the guy killed, and when he, when he repents, he says, it's against God only have I sinned. So how does all this come together? how is it that David does not get even a little sense that he was off the course whenever he takes Bathsheba into his house? So what I'm going to share, as I said, comes from a, a Jewish theologian, um, from his perspective, and it is, it is not that this is the, the new enlightenment, but it is a thought that I... That I, I just wanted to throw out there. And, but, the, but no matter this thought or the other, you know, this thought that we're going to share or the other where David just blatantly sinned against God, both of them end up in the same place. He repents, okay? So it's not like we're going to end up someplace where he doesn't repent, no. But it, it kind of puts them, for me, it kind of puts things in place, and we'll see what happens here. So... Um, this is uncovering, this is a Hebrew theologian. He, was a, he, was a, he lived in, 19, in 1492. His beginning approach is basically the same as ours, that this is the, like a soap opera type thing that goes on. But does it get any worse? You know, yes. <laughs> why is David such a hero? And why is he known as a man after God's own heart? Now, sometimes we've interpreted that as saying, David, God, what God created David after his own heart. I think it's the other way around. David was the guy who desired to follow God, to follow God's heart. And so when he was a shepherd, when he was out in the field, you know, he he not only was watching sheep, he was praising God and thinking of God. His minds and thought were toward God. And he was this type of individual, facing Goliath. you You know, this man is defiling God, the armies of God. Let's go get him and take him down. And here in this situation, David totally blows it. So he is this hero <laughs> and, he, in, uh, and, and eventually he takes responsibility for his sins. But David makes himself accountable. And this is where we're headed with all of this. In our society, if there is no God, you're not accountable. If there is no sin, we're not accountable. Making right choices following the will of God, you know, not lying, stealing, cheating, you know. If there, if there is no God, these things are all permissible. It <laughs> doesn't matter how you live, just so you get what you want. But see, all that is on this assumption that there's no accountability. But we know there is. We're all going to stand before God. So, also, when you think of the prophet Nathan coming to, to David, David could have had him killed, <laughs> you're the guy. (laughs) It's like, off with his head. (laughs) Didn't do that. The challenge. There are some things that can't change with repentance. One is, David being sorry doesn't bring Uriah back. He's dead. So, what makes this 1492 information cause us to pause at what we know of David and Bathsheba. That whoever went to war, this is the thing that I never knew, never heard of, when a soldier went to war at that time frame, he was to write his wife a letter of divorcement. Now, that's according to the Hebrew guy. That, that they were, he was to write her a letter of divorcement that should he die in battle, she is a widow, divorced. She can remarry. But if he goes to war and dies and she doesn't have a, a bill of divorcement, geez, <laughs> she's out of luck. She can't remarry. So the law was such if the husband didn't return, so she was divorced. And so when, when, Now, this doesn't justify what David did because okay, we know it's a sin and Nathan calls him to, to, the, to uh, account for it. But when David sees her, and she's, she's divorced. Well, her husband isn't dead. Well, who knows that? He's at the battle. But she, she has a letter of divorcement. Okay, that's what the <coughs> rabbi says. Now, remember, we're not letting David off the hook. But it, in one sense, it, it's a um, situation where David can, uh, it's an incident where, you know, she's divorced, it doesn't slam dunk him in and say, you're sinning, you're committing adultery, you, you're, you're doing this with this married woman, okay? Well, one of the other thing is that had David remar- had David committed adultery with her and since that she was a married woman, he could not marry her. It was forbidden. So if he, may, if he broke the marriage vows with this woman, and she's not under the the divorce clause that sh- she could never marry the man who caused that to happen, so what we're looking at is technicalities, okay now, technicalities what's a technicality well it' w- it's almost a lie <laughs> It's not a lie, you know, but it's you know it's pretty much the truth. <laughs> oh, that's just a technicality you see. How many times do people justify their actions by saying, well, it's not really that bad. It's a technicality. Well, what David did with Bathsheba, it's a technicality. So David doesn't somehow slam dunk right into the Ten Commandments and (laughs) thou shalt not commit adultery because it's really, it's a technicality that, you know, our husband isn't here, maybe he's dead. All right, next. So there's more. Ah. So what do you think? Where's he going with all this? Preacher's gone off the deep end. He's reading Jewish literature. (laughs) Oh, the whole Bible is. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) So so if it's technically not adultery, what about what about Uriah? He He's sent out to the front. Well, it's a technicality. Do you know why? He he directly disobeyed the king's order. When the king says, go home to your wife, and you say, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Now, he gave his reasons. He had good reasons, but the technicality is, he directly disobeyed the commandment of the king twice. So normally in a situation like that, off with his head. <laughs> All right, so David doesn't do that himself. He sends the letter back with him, go to the front of the battle, and let him die out there by the hands of somebody else, and we'll take care of this little technicality. <laughs> now, but the, the only reason I'm doing this is I'm not letting David off the hook because we know Nathan says you've sinned. But it's almost like David is saying, it's okay for me to do this, because she has a letter of divorce. But you see, technically, it's, it may be correct, but before God, it's not. See, so whether he was flagrantly, flaunting against the, the commandments of God, or whether he was trying to get by on a technicality, he had sinned. And this is where, and, and the challenge for us is, for me, well, use my thoughts and so on in this, I, I never could understand why David, this, this guy, would be so flagrant in breaking the commandments of God. This guy who we read the Psalms and, you know, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, and, you know, 50, Psalm 51, my, my sin is ever before me, and God forgive me. And this man who has this tremendous heart, how is it that he could so flagrantly break the commandments of God? It was a technicality. <laughs> In a sense, he was letting himself off the hook because he wanted something. And he said, it's all right. But, and so he, he was letting that kind of be the counterbalance to flagrantly disobeying God. And so when we look at this, we are seeing, well we can look at it from our own perspective, there are two tracks in life. There are two tracks, they run parallel to each other. One is the human track, one is the divine track. And so when David is looking at his action and looking at Bathsheba and committing his things, he is loading up his life on the human track. He is going down the human nature, the carnal nature. He's, he's disobeying God. God is not on this track because David is accountable for his sin. Every one of us have a free will. David had a free will to choose. He wasn't bound to God. He was serving God. And whenever we see David, we see him as this, God, you know, this is the longest story in the Old Testament (laughs) about one situation. This is one of the longest stories in the Old Testament uh, of of a situation. Why Why would God allow such a thing? Well, David made the choice. So what is the reason that there's so so much in-depth following of this and looking at it? And it's, it's God using someone that we would put on a pedestal and saying, no one is on a pedestal. Every blessing that we have comes from God. And we cannot excuse ourselves by technicalities. Technically, the speed limit is 55, but, you know, What's what's 90 matter? <laughs> you know, uh, this turnpike speed is 70. What's a hundred matter? You know, that's a technicality. You know, the policeman pulls you over, and you got a ticket. So we we look at this, and, and life isn't about what we can skirt. That's not quite a lie. It's, not quite, it's that we are accountable to God, and so we are to do the best thing we can do with our life. So we are on this two-track. And the, the track is that we are making choices from our free will. David was not following God. He was following his carnal nature. But when Nathan confronts him and says, you're the man, what does David do? Rather than, like most people would say, it's not my fault, it was her. She shouldn't have been out on the ba- she shouldn't have been out on the rooftop bathing. You know, what's wrong with that woman? <laughs> it's her fault, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. It's that woman you gave me, God. <laughs> she made me eat, and she says it's that serpent you gave me. So it's all God's fault. But here we find da- in David, we see the heart of God, and I think this is where we see the lights go on in His spirit and in His mind. Because if he was, and this is again, if he was getting by with a technicality, he recognized God was not getting by on a technicality. You've sinned. David goes over to God's track, puts all of his confidence in God again, realizes the evil nature, the falling, the sinful nature that he had, and he asks God for forgiveness, and he gets back on the divine track. And this is where our decisions, our choices, um, when we choose to, you know, some people call it negativity. When we choose the negativity and bring it into our life, well, when we choose to do sinful things, we're bringing negativity, we're bringing burdens, we're bringing sadness into our spirit. We are, we are losing what God intended for us. But whenever we make that decision over to God, See, this is where God can work everything out to the good, to those who love him. God can make that happen, so David could, God could work out David's sin with Bathsheba through forgiveness and grace and mercy, so much so that their son would be the next king, and he would be in the heir to the lineage of Jesus. That's how far grace and mercy can go to restore blunders and technicalities and sins. So in our life, we cannot we cannot blame God. We cannot look to the situations, to that. We have to make the choices that God puts within our heart. Uh, James 1:13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God did not put that temptation in front of David. David should have been with his soldiers at battle and this would have never happened. Now, <laughs> if you really want to go out there a ways, <sighs> was Uriah to die and David to marry Bathsheba later on? We don't know. That's just a thought. You know, it jumps, jumps out of the closet at you. You know, don't know if that's God or, or me or the devil. But what if <laughs> they were meant to be together and meant to have a son named Solomon, and they got caught up, caught up in the technicalities. We don't know that. But Abraham and Sarah, they got caught up in a technicality. <laughs> wow, I'm too old to have children. Here, take my handmaiden. <laughs> you know, we got to have a son because God said so here. that's a technicality that I'm not having a child. Take my handmaiden, <laughs> you know. See how technicalities go? Well, it's, it's, it's allowed. But it, in the heart of the situation, just like in the, in the New Testament, the Pharisees, you know, adultery, you know, this woman was caught in a very act of adultery. And Jesus says, if you've looked at a woman with lusting in your heart, you've committed adultery. You see the technicality. I didn't have relations with that person technically. <laughs> and God says, that's a sin because you already did it in your heart. And so I think it's a way to challenge our little ways of the technicalities that we say that that go on, that we look at them and say, well, technically, (laughs) it's not a sin, but before God, I shouldn't do this. So no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. Hmm. So you have captured the act, the sin, put it into your life. And here is where repentance comes in. When we repent, we are freeing ourselves of the burden of that sin. God does not want sin except when it's in your life. He wants to remove that from your life and take it from you so that you can know, we can know, that God wants us to be with him in eternity, and he wants us to make right choices here and now. And he gives us his spirit so that we can live for him in this life, and that he wants to remove that sin and the effects of that sin in our life. Now, David's repentance doesn't bring Uriah back to life. But his disobedience of the king technically... He should die. But going back, you see how all these things could fit one way or the other? But where do they end up? They end up with Nathan coming, the prophet of God, coming to David and saying, you're the guy, you've sinned. And David's heart is such that he goes, oh, the lights go on. And that's where I always had that question of doubt, was like, why didn't the light go on whenever he saw her but there were these little technical things that could, that could, could um, let him do what he was doing. But in the end, <laughs> they were still sin. So, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to free ourselves. Free ourselves of the sin. God wants our sin. <laughs> he wants the sin that easily besets us. He wants the things that we've done wrong. He wants us to repent. And just like David, he he has a heart that moves toward God. And whenever he's realized this in front of Nathan, his immediate response is, oh, I've sinned. So the focus moves from, from us and our failures to the action of God. What is God's action? God's action is forgiveness. We now move to God's track, and we're allowing God's track to be our way of life. And you are your action. We the focus moves from our actions to God and His love for us. Asking for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ frees us up to be ourselves, to be the person God created us to be. The freeing aspect of repentance. So King David fails his test, his greatest test. He's not a failure. We find that no matter if what this rabbi has stated is true or not, David was guilty before God. So whether we have, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So repentance is where we, we, we look at this, not, well, it wasn't that bad with, with repentance. And the reason for all of that is that we would break the barriers that hold us in. David was to be the, 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 the man after God's own heart. He was to be the, the king that other people would look up to. He was to be this individual as we read the Psalms, we think of his heart before God and all those things. We don't think of Bathsheba. <laughs> but we see how God turned it around. In our life, Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. For God to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or think, we've got to be on God's track. We can't allow the technicalities, technically I'm not, technically, no. For repent of those things, move those aside, go over here, repent, get on God's track, and remember, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. Not because of a technicality, but because of a plan and a purpose that God has for our life. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, God says, for a purpose and a plan. So, God has already taken into account every detail of your life, every bad break, how you were raised, what somebody did or did not do. He knows how to take what was meant for your harm and use it for your advantage. We need to be transparent with God and know that God knows it all, and he just wants his best for us. We're on God's track. Amen? Amen. So, that answer questions? Too bad. <laughs> it helped me understand some of mine, but that was... I, I, so does it change the outcome? No. The outcome is he sinned. So whether it was by letting, letting himself go through technicalities, she's divorced, he's at battle, he disobeyed me, he can die, you know, all those types of things, no. Should have just, God has a plan. If she was to be his wife at some point in the future, she would have been. He failed the test. So we don't want to fail the test. God will provide in every situation. Amen? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for hearing our prayers. God, if we have sinned in thought, word, or deed, whether we've done it, said it, thought it, Lord, we just pray that you forgive us. Do not allow the technicalities that we can look at and say, really, it really wasn't that bad. God, in your eyes, what do you see? You want our sin removed from our hearts and lives. Forgive us, O God, as we repent of our sin, that we might might receive your presence, your power, and your strength. Because, Lord, (laughs) you want to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. You want to accomplish that in us. And we, you do not want any technicalities hindering us from our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.